Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and today I've got drummer Scott McGee and DJ Cookie Parker here with me. Okay, they're the same person. Scott has played with a lot of Portland bands, including Ela Bamba and Loch Lamont, and he leads the Ural Thomas Band. Cookie Parker, and wait till you hear how he got that name, is a DJ around town specializing in vintage soul and R&B, and who is host of KMHD's Friday Flashback, 6 to 8 p.m. That's back-to-back with my show, I Like It Like That, from 8 to 10. He lived in New Orleans for 10 years where he got his start on drums, and there'd be no, must, probably no better place on earth to get your start on drums. Meet Scott and Cookie. Wait a minute. What do I call you? Scotty's fine. Scotty. All right. Not Cookie. You can use Cookie, Scott. Scotty, or Scott, or Scott <laughs> McGee. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. No, I mean, I'm trying on Scotty again. That was my nickname as a kid. Is that right? It's good. Oh, who doesn't like Scotty? Yeah. Scotty. Well, that's, that's good. Um, uh, Scott, welcome to the cupping room. Thank you. In our uh, home here at the World Cup Coffee and uh, Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. Uh, and um, glad to have you here. We never we see each other every week. We never talk to each other because you're heading out. I'm heading in. That's right. <laughs> in case anyone doesn't know, um, Scott does uh, Friday Flashback Show on KMHD uh, from 6 to 8, just before my I Like It Like That show from 8 to 10. So he, he's, he, you're always going somewhere. You're always working on a Friday night, right? I usually have a gig. That's why I put those 10-minute songs on yeah. at the end so I can actually get there 10 minutes earlier. <laughs> but uh, So we never get a chance to talk you know, um, at all uh, except to say hi and have a good show or you know, whatever, you know, um, although it was nice to see your old Thomas in there the other, the other week. Yeah. That was good. I wish he could have stayed around. He, uh, it was funny cause he came to do the show with the boomer and then he, <laughs> he stuck around through my entire show. Two more hours. He just hung. <laughs> and on every mic break, I kept saying like, yeah, you're Thanks so much for stopping by. Like I wasn't trying to get rid of him cause <laughs> yeah, I like to hang yeah, out with your yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, eight o'clock, I'm still like, wow, your doesn't have anywhere to be. <laughs> No, so are you from Portland? I'm not from Portland. Okay. Uh, I'm from, in this order, Long Beach, California. <laughs> yeah. Kenner, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Aust- uh, Arlington, Texas. Uh-huh. Danbury, Connecticut. <laughs> and then back home to New Orleans, where I kind of became the person I am. <laughs> what were you before? <laughs> Shithead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, weren't we all? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mostly grew up on the East Coast. Uh, my, uh-huh. my dad was a coffee salesman and uh, really? was good at his job. Wow. He sold Maxwell House and Folgers. Good to the last drop. So every, you know, every 18 months, they'd give him an award and they'd say, mm-hmm. move, we'll give you more money. And he'd say, okay. <laughs> and then uh, when we got to Connecticut, where the property taxes are higher and the schools are better, he said, <laughs> well, fuck it, I'll, let, I'll raise my kids here because they'll get a good education. So we stayed in Connecticut even though uh, we didn't have any East Coast roots because huh. my family is all uh-huh. California-based. Uh-huh. Uh, and I left home three days after I graduated high school, which I barely <laughs> did, and uh, ended up in New Orleans again where I wow. had fond memories as a kid. Two uh-huh. Mardi Gras. Uh-huh. Um, I think I was Gene Simmons in 1978. 
Did you look like Gene Simmons in 1978? When I stuck my tongue out. (laughs) (laughs) You remember those big benches? You you know Mardi Gras. Like, they have a ladder. Yeah. And then a bench for two kids. That's Uh me and my brother up there catching beads at the Rex (laughs) Parade. That's funny. I was watching it yesterday Mm. online. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, you were in New Orleans how long? Uh, two years as a kid, and then 10 years before I moved here. Wow. So two, wow. Uh, 1994 to 2004 was the formative years, uh-huh. 20 to 30. Now, I was talking to our, our benefactor, Matt Flieger, the other day, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, Scott busked, used to, used to busk in New Orleans. Is that true? Bust? Busk. Oh. Well... Let's see. Busking in New Orleans. Did I ever do that? I used to play my saxophone in a tree in that park at the end of the quarter <laughs> that on counts. Ursuline Avenue. That counts. Yep. And you could actually <laughs> see Cosimo's Bar, which is where J&M Studios was up in the attic up there. Yeah. So I'd be yeah. up there. I don't think I was trying to get girls to look at me as they were walking by on the sidewalk <laughs> or something. But no, I learned to play music in New Orleans when I was there. And I may have bust a little bit, but not like the people on Royal Street that are okay. really good. And right. you walk by them and you want to give yeah. them five bucks because yeah. they're yeah. like blowing your mind. Right. You know? right. That's where uh, Shoehorn I, learned, to, learned to tap yeah, dance. I was never yeah. one of those guys yeah. uh, in the, in when I was living there. I yeah. was kind of learning. <laughs> you know. So what was your first instrument? Piano as a kid for yeah. like a year. Uh-huh. No. Uh, I wasn't good. <laughs> And I also didn't practice, which is why I wasn't good. Uh, and then drums uh, yeah. at, at 24 in a nightclub. Wow. Um, taught by the band. Is that right? hmm Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a musician as a kid. Um, well, the story goes, if you want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, a place called the Old Opera House on uh-huh. Bourbon Street. You know yeah. it? Uh-huh. It's one of those, you know, it's not the do drop in or anything like that, but um, back in the day... There, you know, I mean, shit, you walk down Bourbon Street in the 70s, there's going to be a good band in every bar, right? right? And so the old opera house had a famous history of, you know, being a, uh, a legit place for music, for tourists, for decades. By the time I showed up in New Orleans in 1994, Bourbon Street was not great, but there were pockets of things going on, and, new, and the old opera house was still one of them. Uh-huh. Uh, a guy named Jose Francois sang there. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh-huh. he is mentioned in that book. Can you hear me knocking? Uh-huh. When the epilogue, when they when they they talk about the the dewdrop in the I think it's in the seventies. Uh-huh. I was actually reading the book and I couldn't believe I came across Jose Francois' <laughs> name because he he was an incredible singer who just never cut records. Uh-huh. So he was famous in those circles with Ernie Cato and uh-huh. and, and, and you know the whole that whole gang, but. It kind of brought me back. Anyway, when I was working there, I was a cocktail waiter. And the band <laughs> had two singers. Uh, the bass player used to play with the Drifters. I mean, these were, like, serious guys. Right. yeah. And they would play all the, you know, all the great songs, like all the New Orleans R&B, Bretton Wood tunes, Stevie tunes, yeah. a lot of Otis Redding, and they, yeah. they crushed it. And I became really enamored with that band. Like, I'd be bringing beers to a table, and they start doing uh, Jose was famous for singing um, an Otis tune uh, oh she may be weird oh yeah uh, 
try a little try a little tenderness. tenderness. Yeah. And I, I would stop working. Even if I had to bring drinks to the table, I'm like, <laughs> five minutes, you got to wait. And I think the band noticed that I was into them more than the other people that worked there. Yeah. I was always complimenting them after their set break. Or uh-huh. Like, you know, just like, oh, my God, you guys, you know, crushed it tonight. And um, one day, no one's in the bar. It was like a Tuesday night or something in January. And uh, people didn't drink in these bars uh, just to have a drink because the prices were triple. Right. That's the cover. Yeah, right. So if the place was dead, um, we didn't have anything going on, of course. And and one day I was just super bored at, at, at my shift, and I said to JoJo, the drummer, I said, do you mind if I just go fuck around in your drum kit? Because I'd gotten to know him well enough where I felt comfortable asking. Yeah, yeah. Like, I won't break anything. That's a big question. I was like, I won't break anything. I just, yeah. it's just like every time I see you, it just looks so fun. I just want to see what it's like. Uh-huh. And he's, he's like, okay, all right, you can do that, you know. And I went up there, and there was a song playing on the PA. Uh-huh. Some, I don't know, some, some, some tune. I started keeping time to it, just like, oh, okay, I've seen him do this. I'm keeping time in the hi hat, uh-huh. hitting the snare drum. And I didn't know that was a big deal. Oh, to have my foot do the thing and my, you know, I was, I yeah. had the coordination as a drummer without ever touching a drum wow. kit in my whole life. Wow. So I got off and, and Jojo looks at me, he's like, you didn't tell me you were a drummer. And I'm like, what do you mean? That's, and he goes, well, you play. And I said, that's the first time I've ever been behind a drum kit. And he like, he just like did a double take and he, he like looked into my soul and he said, wow. You need to go buy a drum kit. You're you're a drummer, and you just n- never figured that out. He's, wow! And so wow. I had so much respect for him that I did that. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any <laughs> desire to be a drummer. I was never interested in playing music. <laughs> and he says, uh, "Do this." And so I was like, "All right." And I bought the drum set from Harold Brown's son, wow. the drummer of War. Yeah, his son is a monster drummer, um, uh-huh. Daryl Brown, who's still playing. I think yeah. he's in Japan now. Um, Harold used to live two blocks from me in really? the city. Yeah. Wow. So I bought his son's kit and immediately regretted it because I couldn't afford it. <laughs> Played on it for like 20 seconds in my little French Quarter apartment. No, actually, at this point, I was living uptown. I lived above a lawyer. <laughs> named Justin Ziegler. I'll never forget that. I played, I set it up. I think I hit the snare drum once. He comes running up the stairs. He goes, I have clients downstairs. What are you doing? You can't. I said, oh, shit. Pack up the drums, put them in my closet. And I was like, I'm selling these, you know, as soon as I can. And then, uh, I know this is a long story. But no, so, no, it's so great. Then, so it's then, great. Uh, I was kind of, you know, I was like, okay, I bought this drum kit, whatever. Like you do in life, you get, you, know, you get a flash of, yeah, an idea, and then all of a sudden you get back to your regular life, and I'm out drinking and doing whatever. And uh, I moved to a new apartment in the French Quarter. Huh. Uh, I was on Dauphine and Conti. Uh-huh. On the corner was this great gay bar where, like, you know, leather daddies would be out <laughs> three in the morning yeah. on the corner making a bunch of noise. I just loved it. That was an exciting time. Yeah. And, like... Uh, for some reason, I thought, I can get away with setting up my drum kit even even though I had a person below me, a person to the right of me, left of me, behind me, <laughs> and on top of me. But I'm thinking, this is the French Quarter. Like, I can, I, can, I can set up my drums and play here. So I did, really quietly, and I went around and knocked on everyone's door, and I said, did you hear that? And they were like, no, I didn't really hear anything. And the one lady below said, I heard it, and I liked it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I kept the drums set up, and... Um, 
kind of started messing around with them. No teacher or anything. I just would come home and tap on them for a little bit, and then I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Uh, it, about, about it, it, we're fine. About, about, <laughs> a, about a month into me playing, mm-hmm. just sounding crappy, I'm sure, a guy on an adjacent balcony across the street mm-hmm. comes out, I'm having a cigarette, and he goes, hey, I heard you playing. I've, I've been hearing you play. <laughs> Do you want to jam? Wow. <laughs> and I'm going, what is that? What? What does that even mean? And, of course, it means you play music with another person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay. And I, he runs into his apartment. He runs down. I see him across the street. He's got a guitar, an acoustic guitar. I buzz him in. He comes up. Hello, I'm John. He's a long-haired hippie guy. And I'm like, all right. What, what do you do? <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, He's like, you've never done this before? I said, nope, this is brand new to me, everything. And he's like, well, I'm going to play a song, and you're going to keep time with me. I'm like, okay. I think he played like a Bob Dylan tune or something. Uh-huh. And at that moment was when I got hooked because I connected yeah. with another person. I was like, oh, this is what it's all about. It was like the whole world coming into view like within a, a moment. Right? And then I'd never stopped playing music since then. Wow. And, and, got, and then the band, the house band, Six months later, started pulling me up on stage when there's people in there and let me play Mercy, Mercy, Me. Of course, I'd screw it up and try to do fills and get out of time. But they, they like, taught me how to play. These guys who were, like, amazing, legendary players of New Orleans, you know. And so um, I always know if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have figured this out. It was the people that's of amazing. New Orleans, you know, that, that, like, gave me this gift. And so it's, uh, that's pretty much what happened there. Man. A drummer in New Orleans. Thank you, Jojo. <laughs> a drummer in New Orleans. Man, oh, man. You know, one of the things about Portland is when I first got, I got here about 20 years ago, and I was standing down in front of um, the Crystal one night, and I guess, I don't know, uh, Galactic might have been in town or something, but and I heard this argument. Mm. Between two guys on the corner about who was the best drummer in New Orleans was it was it was it uh, 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 Baptiste was it Stan Moore who was it right and I'm going like I I just moved here I, I can't believe I'm hearing this you know oh in Portland <laughs> in right, Portland of in yep, Portland yep. I'm going like what well I would say it's so probably, you got, go huh? ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I would just say it's either Earl Palmer or Johnny Vodakovich. Well, I know me. that, but that's not the, 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 the point is right. they, they were even discussing it. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I know you know that. I'm just surprised yeah. they weren't saying that. But, but, but I knew Russell. Yeah, Russell's Yeah. Russell's a monster. Yeah. But yeah, no, that, that's a good sign, too. Yeah. It's funny because I, I had to move to Portland to get even more into old is that right? music. Wow. Yeah, when I was there, I was kind of like snobby about music, and I was more into like... Uh, modern classical like I loved really like uh, the weirder the better so like I'm what? in the, you know like like uh, unlistenable music to most of the world <laughs> <laughs> I just was you know when you have those points in your life where you have to like you the, mean like Barrio and people yeah. like the, wow <laughs> yeah yeah no I loved Barrio I, I still do well um, me too but I remember you know you hear that story about how Frank Zappa heard ionization for the first time yeah. and it blew his mind I had that experience but luckily yeah. I think I got out of that realm where you just only allow yeah, the, yeah. you know some <laughs> tiny sliver of the art world in yeah but my way into that was uh, the art ensemble of Chicago mm-hmm. you sure. know yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, okay so you, you you were playing that stuff 
I was in a band that played 12-tone serialized wow. music. Yes, yes, I know. It got weird. It got weird. And my, I remember my parents going, don't you want to make money? <laughs> and I'm just going, no, I want to make art. No, you know. But if that's the 20s. When you're in your 20s, that's what it's right. all about. Of course. You know? of course. And those, those things still are with me, but now I get to play a dance, a backbeat, and make people dance, and nothing beats that. Right, you know, it's like the best right. thing. Right. When when did you discover that that you could make people dance as a DJ? Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you have did uh, was 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 your DJ experience connected with radio when you were a kid, or 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 did that happen later on? Everything comes to me late in life. Huh. I'm, I'm like the mm-hmm. quintessential late bloomer. I mm-hmm. get there. It takes me a long time to figure out what I like to do and what I mm-hmm. could be good at. Mm-hmm. DJing was from... I've always loved music, but I mean, yeah. who doesn't? That's nothing special. Yeah. Um, now, you're not old enough, though, to have grown up with great radio DJs. No, I'm 44, but I did have uh, one of the best, country's best at the time. If you, So I, I was born in 73, graduated uh-huh. high school in 1992, so yeah. music for me was exciting, of course, as much as it can be for a person when you're a teenager is like 1988 yeah. to 1992, maybe yeah. even a little before 88. Cause I, I loved music even as a, when I was pretty young uh-huh. and college radio oh, r- yeah. ruled the airwaves right. and, and, right. and what you call college rock, you know, you yeah. REM and all these great bands of that era and new wave and all right. but the good stuff. You uh-huh. know? Uh, uh-huh. WXCI in Danbury, Connecticut was a, a, like a hub of originality for radio then. So yeah. radio did have an impact on me where I used to listen to the radio for hours just like yeah. kids did when they were around when it was really awesome. Right. Um, and that, I'll never forget having that experience. You know, mm-hmm. I would just like mm-hmm. call up all the time and make requests and yeah. had my favorite DJs and yeah. And learned about music through them. Like I discovered the Pixies and Nirvana through yeah. the DJs, and I knew about all that stuff before. Yeah, it got big. Yeah, and loved it. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I for me it was um, at the dawn of rock and roll. Sure. Because and, in, in 1956 I was 10, mm-hmm. and I heard Fats and I heard Little yeah. Richard, and my parents did not know how what to do. Sure. They had. They really had that no experience. Right. No, that's and nothing could beat that. I'm in know. my room blasting out Little sure. Richard. Sure. You know, and they're going, "What is wrong with my son? Yeah, you know, what's wrong with the whole world?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> <That's what we're laughs> sure. Uh, but there were great, great. I mean, uh, but not. I was influenced just as much, not as much, almost as much by the DJs as I as I was mm-hmm. by by the, by the music. Mm-hmm. And there were there were there were a bunch of DJs. That were just like my my heroes, and I, I that's who I wanted to be. Sure. The funny thing is, um, my favorite station was WITH with uh-huh. radio in Baltimore, uh-huh. right? And they had, um, uh, and I wanted to be on that station so much when I was, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 11, and twelve, mm-hmm. and thirteen. And um, years later, decades later, mm-hmm. the guy who was uh, who was a DJ on that station was running a national talk radio network. And I was doing a, a, a five-hour talk shift on the weekends, right? It was Saturday and Sunday, and which was great. It was fun, right? But then, then, you know, the network ran out of business, and he ended up 
managing WITH, turned it back into, a, well, by then, an oldie station, and I got a shift. So I got to play all those songs that I heard when I was a kid on WITH on WITH. It was cool. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did, D, I did um, as a DJ, I first started actually doing it in nightclubs before the radio. Wow. And that was, again, like through a set of circumstances. It's like my life is weird where... I fall into things based on where I just happen to be floating around. I don't <laughs> tend to know what I want until yeah. it, it pricks me and says, hey, did you ever think of this? And I'm going, oh, that, that seems cool. And I'm already yeah. kind of doing it. And then it yeah. snowballed. Uh -huh. So I used to go to other um, soul DJs dance nights here in Portland. Hmm. Uh, and uh, they were always really exciting for me. The one thing I always noticed was, and again, this was just like it was in the club when... Uh, when the house band was playing and Jose would be singing, I was 10 times more into it than anyone there, even the tourists. <laughs> like, I was always just like, and I'd heard these songs hundreds of times, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But there was something about it that just excited me, which is, I, I understand why now. And the same thing would happen when I'd go to these, these soul nights about 12, 13 years ago. Most people would just be dancing and drinking and having a good time, mm -hmm. and I'd be doing that too, but I'd also be going, what the fuck is this song? Like, how have I never heard this? And yeah. how have I never yeah. heard these 20 songs in a row? Yeah. And then you look over yeah. and you see a DJ, and they're playing it on a 45. Right. Um, and you know it's an original copy because the mm -hmm. label's all beat up and everything. And, yeah. And I, like it happens to anyone, you become curious about something. You've got to chase it down. Yeah. Especially if it excites you, and music is great for that. And so... I used to tour a lot in a band, and any time we'd have a... Well, first I started doing here in Portland, because you could still go down to on, on, uh, on uh, Hawthorne and go to oh, the right. record store that just moved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Crossroads. Uh -huh. And there were, even here in Portland, there were a ton of Soul 45s just hanging out in these boxes for yeah. 50 cents. And I yeah. learned, just like a stamp collector or a coin collector, how to spot good shit. At least yeah. I got a I, bunch of Andre Williams out of that oh, store. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good stuff. So um, I became addicted to the hunt ah. for the records. Uh, and I would get to go to all the record stores in cities where I was touring with the band because we'd have a day off. What and band I, was that? This guy called Nick Jaina that I played with oh, yeah. for years here yeah, in town, yeah, yeah. local, local right. songwriter. And um, before I knew it, I had, you know, one of those cardboard boxes full. Mm -hmm. And I worked at an at a old venue here in town called The Woods. Did you ever go there? Sure. Great place, mostly mm -hmm. live music. It was a funeral home, right? Yep. <laughs> and I was I helped. Put, I helped build it. I helped. Huh. I was the bartender. I was the sound mm -hmm. guy. Yeah. I was kind of like, you know, part of the whole thing there. And uh, every month they'd have like 15 dates with nothing because it was hard <laughs> to book because yeah. it's in Selwood. Right. A little bit out of the city. And it was, it wasn't run that great. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I asked the owner, one of my good friends, I used to play with him in a band called Lock Lamond. I said, can I just have a night just to play records and we'll all just hang out? Uh -huh. And I bought just one turntable because oh. I didn't have enough for two. <laughs> and so I'd play one and pull it off really quickly and play it down. And before you know it, like um, like 30 or four of my friends started coming. It was on a Wednesday. And I did yeah. like three of those in a row. Uh -huh. And I was having so much fun just because my friends were dancing. And I felt like I was the fuel for the yeah. the whole thing. Right. And I ended up writing a 
I ended up asking them, can I do a Saturday? Because something got canceled or something, you know. And they gave it to me, and I, I wrote a, my own press release to the Mercury and the Willamette Week <laughs> saying how down at the woods we're having this great soul night, and it's been, you uh-huh. know, really busy and everything. And they both papers wrote it up huh? and said, hey, you got to go see, you know, this, you know, you know Scott from... Lock Lamont and Ila Bamba and all these bands, but yeah. did you know that he moonlights as a soul DJ or something? You know? Were you I, using the name Cookie Parker at I that time? I think I was. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Where'd that come from? Um, <laughs> it's a ridiculous story. But uh, one morning on tour with that Nick Jana band, <laughs> we, were, we had a gig in San Francisco yeah. on, on the Hate, which is like the worst place to try to find a parking spot. <laughs> that morning, a friend had put us up, and we were an eight-piece band. And I think it was like five people living in the house. And the way we would pay for our lodging is to cook breakfast in the morning. So I would go out to the grocery store and get like two dozen eggs, bacon, a lot of cheese and butter. And I made this rich, delicious breakfast that everyone liked just because there was so much fat. So that morning I had made this huge breakfast. And then then we were like, we were about to be late to sound. In fact, we were late to sound check because the singer in the band was behind the driver's seat. And he was just circling this like endless loop trying to find a spot <laughs> finally we passed one and I was like that's the only thing we're going to get and Nick looks at me and he goes there's no way we can park there and I was like let me get behind the wheel <laughs> uh, I, lo- I'm, I love parallel parking challenges <laughs> and so he's got the trailer hitch ball in the back of the van and everything. I mean, everything's working against, against me and it was like I mean, he was right to think that there's no way we could fit in there. And somehow the stars aligned, and I did this just one back in without bumping the car and one pull in. And there was, at, by the, when I stopped, there was like two inches in front of the van, three inches behind the van. And everyone just erupted into applause in the van, mostly because we were relieved that we actually were going to make the gig. But it was a truly impressive parking uh, situation and then our violinist who's this poet he, he said I dubbed these Sir Cookie Parker and did the whole thing because I had cooked breakfast and parked the van and so that nickname stuck with me for years before I needed a DJ name and then I asked all my friends they were like duh like you use Cookie Parker but everyone says Cookie which yeah. drives me crazy because I think of the, it's like Corny Collins well you know? that's because there's like, a Y instead of an IE I know but you know what a cookie is it's a real word it's a, the guy that would cook when, when the when the pioneers would stop their wagon train and go into a circle he'd break out the fire and make food for everyone they didn't call him a mess cook they called him a cookie so it is a real word people yeah that's great so um so were you by the time you were doing um you you, you started djing at the woods yeah. you you were all you had also been in bands right yeah for many okay. years yeah 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 now why did you move to portland well uh, i got robbed in new orleans twice once in front of my house Ooh. uh with a gun uh-huh. they actually put the, they pulled the gun on my roommate huh who shit, nearly shit his pants because the guy said, I want you to start running that way and don't look back. <laughs> Can you imagine someone holding a gun tells you that? Yes, I'm from Baltimore. So, <laughs> and then I was shot at on I-10 
Ah. They put bullet holes in the car. Okay. Yeah, in the middle of the day. Somebody you knew? Nope. <laughs> nope. They didn't like that we like we had to rush ahead to get to the exit to the 610. Well, and so we didn't cut them off, but we pulled in front of them, and they oh, said, fuck that. You can't that. do that now. <laughs> no, you can't Bang, do that. Yeah, I understand. Uh, you know, people, people think that the wire was sure. just, just just drama. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was that was yeah. that was every, everyday life for me. Yeah. <laughs> so there was just a couple of circumstances like that and then like I lived there 10 years again and you know that was sort of felt like a chapter I just turned 30. Uh-huh. Um and then that that weird uh, that experimental band I was in that played non-tonal, <laughs> non-rhythmic music yeah. uh, broke up, and I was actually devastated somehow <laughs> that this band that made music that you know, I don't know, like only uh, a select few would want. You ever heard Henry Cow? Sure. We sounded like Henry Cow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so all these things had ended and I was like I need a shake up and uh, uh, Michigan who you know I think mm-hmm. um, she had moved here because her it made sense for her because her music um, has elements that I think would actually hit home a little more here you yeah know, just folk singer yes political angle to her lyrics very good um, singer songwriter um, she was sick in New Orleans so she moved here and she kept singing its praises to me mm-hmm. and she said, I want you to move up here. And, but I didn't feel like my connection with her as a musician was enough to warrant moving to another city. Yeah. It, it, it was a connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she called me back about six months later and said, I've just booked a tour to Scotland and England for five <laughs> weeks. Do you want to go? And I said, when? <laughs> and, um, and I had such a good time with her there, and we had this incredible experience. Um, and she said, just so you know, I'm already thinking about the next tour to the UK the following year. It sure would be nice to have you kind of back in the fold. Yeah. And I was like, I'm yeah. moving to Portland. I decided on go. that tour <laughs> to move to Portland. Wow. And I stupidly called my girlfriend at the time and told her that. Oh. I didn't say, hey, do you want to move to Portland? No, I called sorry. her from I'm, the UK I'm, and I'm, said, hey, guess what? I'm moving to Portland. <laughs> Somehow she moved here. Really? Yeah, you know, she's married to the guitar player in my band now. But, um, it, and then so I, it was pretty much just through the connection with Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That I thought, well, I've got an anchor here, and she talks mm-hmm. about how cool. And I visited once, and I saw an eagle fly over Pittic Mansion, and I was like, "All right, how can you ignore that?" Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, she moved here shortly thereafter, and best move I ever made. That's great. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. um, and that was that was how long before you started DJing after that? Oh, well, that was two thousand four. And 2009, 10 is wow. when, the, when I started to collect the records. Wow, really? And yeah, and I went whole hog on it. Like when I say collect, it was like, you mm-hmm. know, I went from having none to thousands just because <laughs> I was like, I was excited to find that I knew how to find them and that they were still there and I yeah. could get them for a buck and they're worth, you yeah. know, what, I don't even really actually care what they're worth, but the songs are so great. Yeah. And, and to be able to throw the thing down and play a King Coleman tune to me is like, right. how do you beat? That. I know, I know. And make people now dance to it. Like, that's just... Yeah. yeah. You can't do that with other music. If you no. throw on something people don't haven't heard before, right. and it's some modern thing, they're going to 
not only are they going to leave the dance floor, they're going to look at you funny like, why are, what the hell is that? Right. But if you play an old R&B tune they've never heard, you'll whip them into a frenzy. Yeah. And that, to me, is like, yeah. that's all the proof you need that it's yeah. the best shit. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, really. yeah, it was like essentially eight, eight years ago that it all kind of like, <laughs> that I really jumped on that. Mm-hmm. And it was great. I started making money. People hiring me for weddings. That's yeah. what I do for a living now. Yeah. You know, I do pretty good. Yeah. Before that, I was driving a cab. I drove know. a cab in Baltimore. Yeah. Which is different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never feared for my life here. No. Driving say. a cab in Baltimore is kind of like suicide. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, did you? Who did you drive for? Radio. Did you? The only game in town. <laughs> well, not anymore, but. Right. Right. Yeah. But, uh. <laughs> That was all right. Life of a cab driver is a strange thing. Not a strange and wonderful thing, it but it's a strange it thing. It worked for me because it's flexible. You don't have a boss. Well, I know. I hate bosses. Right. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. So I could go on tour and say, I'll be back in six weeks. Right. And they go, see you. They right. don't even look up. Right. And right. then you come back and you work 12 nights in a row and you got right. two grand in your pocket. Yeah, there's some, there's some really interesting cab drivers. Soraya is a cab driver. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only when he's, when the he's only, not in Bhutan or something. The right? only yeah. the only Tuvan throat singing yeah. cab driver that I think totally. probably in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but I did have uh, you know my other cab driver friends and I we we really we never did it but we always wanted to have a, have bumper stickers made up that said Travis Bickle was right. <laughs> but that was driving in Baltimore, which sure. is a whole different different thing than driving yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty um, safe here. Um, okay, so uh, when did Ural come along? Ural Thomas, when did that? When did he come sure. along? It's all related. You know, I see these things as being oh, one, yeah. one big thing. Um, so through my um, obsessive record <laughs> searches, uh, which often took me to Mississippi Records yep. out there, because um, he, Eric, um, he buys collections, so he, you know, he's, he'd be the only source. You know, if you go to... You know, if you go to Music Millennium or you go to mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the pl- everyday music, yeah. you're kind of just going to get the stuff that they've had sitting in boxes that everyone's picked over for right. years. Yes, but Eric is getting calls and has a network where he's you know like I think there was a K or a, a, a KBU DJ that did the Roots of Rock and Roll for a while mm-hmm. that sold Eric his collection. So then <laughs> you know you've got. Yeah. The goods and Eric would always tip me off like, "Hey, I got something coming in." So anyway, through my multiple visits and all the money I spent at his shop, uh, <laughs> he became friend. Yeah. And um, I would go sit on. He's got a stool in front of his counter, and it's the place where people go and sit and geek out, yeah. talking about records with the record store owner. Right. You know, that's where you learn shit, and it's where you waste time so uh, I used to do that with Eric and in one of those afternoon coffee drinking kind of hangouts I was complaining about music today and you know like doing that thing where you oh wouldn't it be great if I was born at a different time or you know you just you're wishing for the impossible because you're frustrated where you're at right and I said something like oh you know how I know playing these records is great, but what would it have been like to be a session drummer on this? Like then, yeah. then you're really somewhere, and you really have an experience that's like, you know, can't be topped. And I said, if I could have anything in my life, I I would have I'd be able to feel what that's like, and not just 
have the end product in my hand, but I, right. wanna, I wish I could have made it. Yeah. And he, he, he was like, there's one way you could possibly do that if you're <laughs> interested. He's like, Ural lives down the street and is still like a vibrant guy and mm-hmm. is, is just a, a great person. And I knew about Ural through Mississippi releases. Uh-huh. He, 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 he reissued two of his 45s yeah. that essentially like no one had ever heard. And, and through that, had a friendship with Ural. And, and I said, you're telling me, like, you think Ural would want to, like, get on stage again? And, like, and I'd, I could be the guy to put the band together? And he's like, yeah. I'll vouch for you, you know? Wow. So he called up, and I was like, <clears throat> do it, you know? So um, he hatched this, you know, we hatched this plan. He, I think, probably called Ural that afternoon. He's like, hey, Ural, I got a buddy. And he's like... He's hungry to play like the real deal yeah. soul music, you yeah. know, like yeah. from your record, can you dig it? Like he wants to, <laughs> he wants to kind of have that sound. Um, wh- what do you think about trying that out? And you're always like, that sounds like a good time. Tell him, tell him to get in touch with me. <laughs> so I did. I called him up and we talked for a while and immediately just, it's not hard to hit it off with Ural. No. He no. loves everybody. Yeah. So um, yeah. he invited me over to his, have you ever been to his Sunday jam? No. It's a historical thing. He's, he's been doing it. He'd done it for decades. Every Sunday. Mm-hmm. He lives behind the Rebuilding Center. I've been in, in this that house. alley. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So you can, you can walk down that alley and the door is open and the music's playing. A, a lot of people who are walking Mississippi Avenue, especially more in the mm-hmm. past years since it's kind of come up a little, they can, walk, they can go in and stand and listen. If they want to mm-hmm. sit down, there's instruments everywhere, usually like out of tune and uh-huh. um, and they play for hours, and he's got his kind of host or his kind of like crew that shows up, and you know, is he still doing that? He stopped. Oh. Well, his base, the the roof's been leaky. Oh, so that was the first time I met him. He's, it was a perfect way to meet him because he's like, just yeah. come to the thing. It's informal, you know, and I, you know, there's, it's not like it just made it so uh, natural. And so I walked in, and all the guys that were there, Ural had told them, like, this guy's coming that's kind of wanting to cherry-pick a band and maybe try to, you know, do something a little different than he'd been doing. So when I walked in, they all looked at me, and I was like, oh, shit. I didn't, I didn't want to be singled <laughs> that out. Guy, yeah. And the drummer yeah. stands up, and he's just like, here you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> I sat back there, and Ural started playing. I think it was some. I think it was Stand By Me or something. And, like, uh-huh. of course, I could play it. And yeah. we fell in, and it sounded good. And I think I sat behind the drums for about 30 minutes. And, it, you know, it, it just was what you'd expect with that kind of thing, just a, a good time. <laughs> and... uh I had to go, and I said, Ural, so yeah, you want to get together? And he said, absolutely. So then I was like, all right, what I need to do is get the best guys in town and learn the arrangements from those old uni records. You know, Pain is the name of your game, yeah. whole new thing, can you dig it, mm-hmm. and, and then the push them up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I, we stand the best chance of impressing Ural and making it think like, he might be excited to kind of do this old school thing again mm-hmm. if we really sound good in yeah. the room. So, you know, we got together people like Louis Longmire and yeah. um, Brent Martins, mm-hmm. people I knew who could play. And, uh, and we set about learning those arrangements and we rehearsed them to the point where we sounded really good. And, and then the day came when Euro was like, come and do our rehearsal. Now, I guess like she was trying us out is the yeah. way I look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And um, and he he walked in the room and it was you know it was a little awkward as those things can be just because there's a lot of like energy and yeah 
And I said, you guys just want to hang out or should we just play? And you're always like, let's just play. Yeah. So it was like 15 seconds he's into the room and I'm counting off the <laughs> tune. And it, when he heard the first bar, uh-huh. he like whipped around and looked at me and he was like, holy <laughs> shit, you guys are good. And I don't think he'd heard a band beneath him with that kind of approach to the rhythm section. Yeah. And just, you know, the groove. Yeah. We weren't overplaying. Right. We were, we were keeping it in the pocket. Right. And, and then he, he stepped up to the mic and just started belting. And we, we all like, I mean, it was like a feeling like you want to cry. Yeah. But, in, yeah. you know, in that way of just like everything you're hoping would happen is happening. And it's even better than you expect. And like, wow. you're all tore the roof off just for us. Yeah. In that room. Yeah. And I'll never forget that experience. Huh. And we finished the song. It was pain is the name of your game. And he just went, that was real good. You know, and then and then I was like, "Up next, can you dig it?" And we just whipped through all of them, and it was we 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 definitely forged in that first kind of time playing it mm-hmm. with each other like a bond, just because it was like he knew we'd done the work, we sounded good, Ural sounded incredible. He's the the coolest person, so you just want to hang out with him anyway, right? And it like I everything that's been happening now, which is this is almost five years in, I saw it all happening because I was just like, yeah. how can people not respond to this? This yeah. is going to be huge. Yeah. Like, but it, it wasn't like that was the goal. Uh-huh. It's just to play. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, once you realize what he's got, you can't just hold it back. You've got, uh-huh. you got to like uh-huh. expose it to people, make recordings, get them on stage, yeah. you know, like <clears throat> let it, let him be discovered. So, uh-huh. um, again, Right place, right time. Really? I can't imagine my life without Ural. So what what plans do you have for that band now? Um, well, we have a manager now, which is like... That's good. Kind of the big thing you need, right? And yeah. He, he's um, Daniel Lenoir's personal manager and has been for like... You know Daniel Lenoir? <laughs> Daniel Lenoir. So he, he produced... Wait a minute. He's managing... No, no, no. Daniel Lenoir's oh. manager. Oh, oh, well, that's just as right. good. That's so, just as good. Right, right. So you know that Daniel, you know. Oh, yeah. He, he, he managed <laughs> his personal music career, not like yeah. his production career. But I don't even right. know who Daniel would produce these days. But yeah. when Daniel makes a record, yeah. Seth, his manager, is his, is his guy. For well, that's every, amazing. Everything. And Seth moved to Portland. Jeez. And, of course, he's a sharp enough dude. To, and he knows everybody. You know, he's, he's right. you. You want him because of his Rolodex, right? Like he knows right. everybody. If he sends yeah. an email or makes a phone call, people go, "Oh, Seth is chiming in. Let me see what this guy yeah. needs to talk about." Yeah, that's what a manager. That's like that Snooks. E- it's like that Snooks Eagland tune. I play with everybody. Exactly. So <laughs> Seth is a sharp enough cookie to know, like, oh my god, like I can land this guy. You wow. know. And so, uh, I I just wrote him an email and he got back to me immediately and was like absolutely I'm interested we met and he became our manager like that Euro loved him so he's gonna try to take us international and huh. you know get get Euro on the Tonight Show all these things wow. where Euro belongs yeah he should be on TV yeah and, um, and he we have a record deal huh. with a with a good label the, the new album of completely original songs which. Uh, I'm co-writing with Ural. Some of them mm-hmm. are his songs from his past because he's got like <laughs> he can just sing you a song that he yeah. wrote in 1973, and you're like, and the guys are like, okay, that's in 
that's in B flat minor. Okay, let's see where he goes. And like before you know it, we're playing a song just because he's singing <laughs> it to us. So we've captured some of his old music. I've written some new songs for him that are in that mode. And um, and we have this great album coming out that is going to be top to bottom. Like if you throw it on, mm-hmm. if someone didn't tell you, you'd be pretty convinced it was made in 1965 and you just wow. never were lucky enough to yeah. know about it. It's, that's really exciting. Yep. That's really absolutely exciting. Yeah. So you get. I want you to hear some of it soon. It's, I do. I want to. Phenomenally hear it. good. Yeah. Um, I yeah. can't believe it. How we're and we're making it. I have a studio in my house, and we're. Any locked. tracks ready to go? Not mixed, but they're oh, ready okay. to hear. But nothing's. Fun. We're we're in the midst of making it right now. Like nothing we could put at the end here. I could give you something. All right. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. That'd be good. Sure. So it'll be it'll be a rough mix for anyone. All right. So before we wrap it up, um, it's funny that we play how our shows overlap, right. but they don't. Not in a, but they overlap in a positive way because sure. your 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 show is, is a lot different from my show. Sure. In but some ways. In, in some ways it is. In some ways it isn't. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's really interesting. And then, and then, you know, coming out of the boomer who is uh, who's another another side of of of, of it. Um, it's a it's a great Friday night, I think. There's a reason the ratings have gone up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it, in your show, um, I know what I what I try to do in mine. What is it? You know, what what are your parameters? What is what is what is what's the objective in your show? Well, it all started because Matt just I ta- I met him at a party and yeah. he. You know, again, like it kind of happened with Eric and Ural and all that. I just, I didn't know he was a program director at KMHD, and somehow I ended up telling him. When this is not something I would normally say to people, I was yeah. like, "Sure, it would be fun to have a radio show." And here I am <laughs> telling that, and, and Matt goes, "You know, there might be something I can do about that." And I I didn't know what that meant. Yeah, and then. Yeah. 20 minutes later in that conversation he revealed who he was and I'm like that's weird I don't know he's like you know I believe in weird magic things in the world and so um, we exchanged information and um, I think at that moment he was like I need to get this guy on the air because he I I DJ'd a wedding that he was at and Uh he had that experience where he was like what are these records this guy's throwing (laughs) these are these are cool old soul R&B records which of course Matt's whole approach to jazz is like that fits in yes. the story. You don't, right. Right. it's not that purest thing where you're like, that's yes. not jazz. It's yeah. Like, who's playing on that record? You yeah. Know? yeah. So um, he first brought me in, and the idea was to just play uh, the stuff I like and have, essentially. I was yes. just bringing my record collection in, which is curated in a way because mm-hmm. I've selected them. And it was kind of a way to like, even though it's, you know, what, that was 2014 when I started. You can think of that as, like, we're so far past the time when those records were made. Like, what's the reason for doing it? Is this an oldie station or whatever? I know. And I saw it as, like, people still need to learn about this music. Yes. Like, like there will be people tuning in that have never heard this song that's now 60 years old. Like, yep. it's my job to show you that thing. Yeah. And if a yeah. jazz station wants to give me a vehicle to do that, I am more mm-hmm. than happy to do it because mm-hmm. it's a lot mm-hmm. of fun. And so... 
what happened was I think Matt was willing to try that out to see if it worked and of course it has because people call up and they're just like oh my god I love this show I love yeah. these songs yeah. so yeah. I've just stuck with the program I'm, yep. I don't choose my music before I go in I just yeah. kind of like right I'm just right. playing stuff. I call I, it. Sh- I call it shuffle play yeah, when I do yeah. that. Yeah, and then I yeah. think I just think about the person on the other side. Like, okay, mm-hmm. they're having a beer and cooking dinner right now. Yeah. What do they want to hear? And I'm like, uh, yeah, this exactly, will work. exactly. This will work. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And and who doesn't? I mean, why would you not want to listen to music like that? I know I. I'd listen to my own show. Me too. I listen to yours. Yeah. You know, like I, I you know, I, I, I recorded off the air and I'll just go to a coffee shop and listen because I don't remember what I played. Right. <laughs> and I'm totally. always surprised and I always like it. <laughs> yep. And I, you know, yeah. if OZ, if I'm searching around, whenever Roots of Rock and Roll is on, which I yeah. always forget about, yeah. I'm sticking to that dial. So yeah. it's that experience yeah. of just like, right. these songs right. are great and... Um, and you know when I think about when I think about your show and my show, I was you know sometimes I'll go, well Scott's tunes are a little more obscure than mine, but then I then I go, no, it's yeah. just it's a, that's just a frame of a frame of referencing because I'm sure that a lot of people who listen to my show right. don't know what those tunes are for sure. You know, especially all the New Orleans <laughs> stuff and all that. Yeah, and you play live recordings and you're yeah. I think you're you're exposing stuff that would definitely be like yeah. a first time here. Yeah, and stuff that just you, know, you can't you know I'm mean, I I I I've, I don't think I've only seen I've only seen it once, the the two record uh, um, uh, Ashford and Simpson live you know you which go. is a great record. Sure. They do they, they do they do a couple of mel- uh, medleys of their hits mm-hmm. and it's man you know mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that so. Uh, I, I, but again, it, it, you know, I always, always also have in the back of my mind that I don't want this to be an oldie station. That's a fine line. Sure. Because, you know, I, I did a, a, a series for a while. I, I did a, a year, a 20-minute set of a, a particular year every week. Mm-hmm. Started with like 52 and went up through about 63, right? Yeah. And... It, it was beginning to sound like an oldie station, right? Because at the beginning it was it was it was R and B, and then it crossed over, and then after it crossed over, it became songs for kids. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, I played uh, Along Came Jones one night, oh, yeah. and I started crying. Then- I busted out crying. It was I was it was so good. It was just so good, you know. I mean, King Curtis is in that band, and can't beat Lieber Stoller, right? Just and can't. yeah, and Lieber was from Baltimore. Yeah, <laughs> I got a great book. I'll bring it here. Read it. It's just them talking each page. No, it's awesome. I'll bring wow. It to you. Okay. Um, the way I keep it from sounding like an oldest station, I think uh-huh. I chime in on the mic all the time. Yeah, because people's. The thing that makes you know you're on an oldie station is you hear a bunch of songs and then you hear an ad for a yes. car <laughs> right. dealership right. and then you don't really hear a DJ and if you do, there's right. reverb on it and the blast right. from the past. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. hey, I'm a guy, I'm here, I'm playing actual right. 45s and right. also you've probably never heard these, so on and so forth. And and so you know it's being curated yeah. and you know yeah. it's public radio because right. there's right. no ad. I know. And so I feel like it's not just the style that defines those yeah. typical radio experiences. Yeah. It's like, you know what all these stations are like, right. and you know every song. That's why they don't yes. backsell. Yes. You don't have to. <laughs> and, and Matt kind of looks at me uh, at me as like kind of an old, uh, an OG, you know, because <laughs> I was I had the, I had the singles when I was when they came out. Yeah. you know. <laughs> 
Well, listen, thank you so much for stopping yeah, in. It's been great. Now, I, I know so much more about you than I did before, and I, uh, you know, it's great. So, nice I'd like to come to one, you know, one of your one of your gigs. I got, I, I have, I, I've got. I can't, Friday night, I can't do anything. Saturday night, I'm, I, I spent at the Joe Bar. Uh, right. Now, what are you going to do before we go away? What are you going to do now that the Eagles is closing? Eagles is not closing. Oh, yeah! Hooray! Big news. It is big news. They beat Goliath, and <laughs> and the th- cool thing is, is that. So the Eagles is a, a national. That's the one on Hawthorne. Nonprofit, a, you know. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Um, entity organization, yeah. mm-hmm. and so they have their hub somewhere. It's like, yeah, Wichita, Kansas, or something. You it's know, fraternal whatever. organization. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so you can imagine developers licking their chops for that. That. that yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It, mostly a parking lot, so you don't even have to tear down a structure. You just need to break up the concrete. <laughs> The Eagles Lodge would fall over if you pushed on it. Yes, <laughs> and it's they think of it as an eyesore or something, and and it's also just the real story is it's worth mega bucks. Sure. So there have been people literally knocking on their door for a long time, and they'll say like ten million, fifteen million, <laughs> and there and everyone in the lodge just gets to go. We don't really have any say, and we're not motivated by profit because none of it goes in our pockets. <laughs> so they have this amazing ability to say no where everyone would say yes if they were the yeah. building owner and yeah. it was a privately owned thing. And then there were some shitty people within that lodge that's, that wanted to see it go away for whatever reason. Like they uh-huh. wanted a new one out on Gladstone or something. Yeah, yeah. And they almost threw some underhanded stuff. Mm-hmm got to the point where the sale was going to have to go through because they'd followed it enough with some sort of developer or something. Mm -hmm. And everyone came through in the final moments to make sure that didn't happen. And now that that's not happened, Eagles Lodge is going to be here for another 20, 30 years. It's not going anywhere. That's great. So there's no like (laughs) five years later, they got to have the same fight again. They had, they only had to survive this one fight and of all the high rises that are going to go around there, everyone's still going to have to deal with the Eagles Lodge sitting there on 50th and Hawthorne. I just think that's the coolest thing. So in the cookie jar is going to stick. Every first Friday. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for coming by. It's really been great. All right. And, uh, you know, I'll see you Friday. You do it. All right.
LP. Sometimes it was going pretty fast. I had to turn around and holler, hey, Steve, slow down, man. Let's make this last, because we got this one. We got this, don't we, man? Do we have this one, man? 